So let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Matthew 28. It's a, a very familiar passage, and I, I started off, I was talking about the girls getting driver's license, and you know I was looking up online the difference between getting a learner's permit and, and them actually getting a driver's license, and you know, some of the requirements and everything. And right now, I don't know why, but right now you can like get a driver's license without actually doing the road test, which like means there are people that have driver's license that haven't proven that they can actually do it. I mean, they have to take, you have to take the theory test and the road sign test and the vision test. But as far as the actual driving test, that's been suspended. And I don't know what they're going to, I don't know if they're going to call them in later or just kind of like wait and see. You know, it's like, okay, if you make it three years, I guess you are. You know, so, so basically they've said, they've said, okay, we're going to test your knowledge of theory but we're not going to test to see if you have any practical ability to do the thing that you're being licensed to do. And I guess in some ways, when we look at the Great Commission in, in Matthew chapter 28, it really kind of, that kind of mirrors some, some of the questions that had to have occurred when, when you're painting the picture in your mind of, of what the disciples were going through at this very time, you know. So here Jesus, in in verse 18, he says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so here we have these disciples who have been through this... Uh, this recent period of time where their world has been turned upside down. Kind of sound familiar, right? And so they're now in this situation where their Lord is is departing, even though they really don't completely understand what's about to occur. And here it is occurring. And so then Jesus leaves and they're given these instructions to go and teach and to baptize, and to instruct them in observing the things that they've been taught already. So so basically you're here in a situation where they are being licensed, they are being commissioned, they are being sent out, and they're being told, now I, we want, I want you, my disciples, to go out, and I want you to accomplish successfully the things that I've given to you to do as your commission. And so there is a theoretical component to what he's asking of them, and there's a practical component of what he's asking them to accomplish. They have to have a base of knowledge to operate from so that they can teach them others. They have to know it themselves first. And then there's the practical component of going to the nations, of baptizing, of doing all of the, carrying out this work of, of the church, because the, the, the church age has been brought in. And so they're given this commission of the, the practical side of bringing it to fruition. 
And so here are these disciples that have to be standing there. And the question is, you know, is this something that was just dumped on them? Or, or were they really prepared for what was set before them, even though they really didn't know, maybe, at that moment, that they were as prepared as they really were? And in fact, as we look through Scripture, we're going to see that Jesus perfectly prepared his disciples for the task that was set before them. And that is an illustration to us that as we go through periods of history and times and governments and all of the different things that are going to occur in the span of a lifetime, that we have been given the instruction, the theoretical preparation, as well as the practical application as well. And so I want us to kind of just take a step back, you know, and, and, and just in, in our minds see the world that they saw, that they're, they're in the midst of, of a nation or a political structure that was not friendly. They had just seen Jesus crucified. They had seen the, the opposition. They had seen the Jewish leadership as they screamed and bellowed for his destruction. As they mocked him, as he suffered and died on the cross, as they tried to perpetrate a lie that his body had been stolen, even though he had been physically and was there at that moment, physically seen being alive, and they had touched him and they knew that it wasn't just a ghost or a specter or some something else. But they were looking at the physical Jesus. In a, in a world that despised everything that he was and everything that he stood for. And they were commissioned then to go forth. So, how in the world? Well, first of all, Jesus set forth for them a realistic expectation of what the world was going to be like for them. He did it in theory, and he did it in practical application as well. So chapter 13, the Gospel of Matthew. Verse 2, there were great multitudes gathered together. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 2, and he spoke to them in parables because he wanted the disciples to understand. And in fact, later in this chapter, chapter, he gives the explanation of the parable. But what does he say to them? He says, The sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up, and some fell by in stony places, wherein they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of the earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And then he gives the explanation later of that in the second part of the chapter. In verse 36, when the multitude had gone away... They went into a house, and, and Jesus went to the, he, he explained to the disciples, and he answered in verse 37, and he said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. That's the wheat and the tares. Okay, and, 
and he goes on to say, therefore the tares uh, were, will be burned in fire. And so he gives them an explanation of that parable there. And so he uh, also wants them to understand what he said in the second part, got sidetracked there, the second part of this chapter about the, the sower and the seeds, which he also talks about in verse 18. And he says, therefore, the parable of the sower. So he, he taught them about the wheat and the tares, about the end times, what they could expect in conclusion. And then he comes back and in this part, he teaches them about the sower. And he talks about the fact that there are going to be seeds that fall in stony places in verse 20. And some that will receive it. But in verse 21, he says he hath no root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth, and because of the word, and by so he is offended. And also that he received the seed among the thorns, is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that received the seed unto good ground, is he that heareth the word, and understandeth it, which also heareth, beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So, Jesus sets forth for them in theory here not only a promise of what's going to come with the wheat and the tares, but here a realistic expectation of what's going to happen when they go forth with this gospel that he's given to them. That not everywhere where the seed is sown are they going to see the same results. Not every disciple is going to be used in the same way and see the same results that the other disciples see. And so he wants them to have theoretically or in their mind or in their hearts an understanding that, you know, you are going to go forth with a task that I've assigned to you. But you, so that you don't get discouraged or so that you aren't distracted and, and you know, even like in Sunday school with, with David and, and situations so that you don't get sidetracked because you get overly discouraged because you're expecting something that's unrealistic. And so he sets forth for them the theoretical understanding of what it's going to be like. You know, there are going to be people in our lives, and listen, as a church, as a church, there are going to be people they're going to come and they're going to be here for a while and they're going to seem spiritual and they're going to seem like they love the Lord and, and they're going to seem this and they're going to seem that. And there is no root in them because they are not born again. And something's going to come. Some crisis, some disagreement, some disillusionment, some sort of issue, and they will depart. And we should be prepared just as Jesus prepared his disciples. And we should be discerning in ourselves that we over and over and over again preach the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ because the question is, is there really a root? Are you truly born again? Do you have that absolute witness of the presence of God's Holy Spirit that abides 
in you. That is the privilege that we have in the New Testament time, is that we have that abiding witness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. There is God's voice. His seed is in us, as 1 John says. And when that seed is present in us, it will bring about the change that Jesus Christ has prescribed and says that there will be. Some will have fruit a hundredfold, some less. That's okay, it doesn't matter. The point is, there will be fruit. But there are those who are present, and I'm not saying here, maybe there are. There could be someone sitting here today, and you are religious, you have had an experience but you truly are not born again. I saw a documentary film a couple well, a few months ago before we came to the States. And it's the son of a very, very well-known apologist, Christian apologist. And this man is standing there and he says, I can remember when I was a certain age and I was in a church service and I remember the working of the Spirit of God and I remember recognizing that that moment, that epiphany, that that life-changing moment where I recognized that God was working and whatever else. He said, you know, and, and I believed. He said, and then from that point on, 15 minutes after I was saved, from 15 minutes after I was, I believed, I began losing my faith. And now he's a, a secular humanist. He He says, some people will say to you that, that what I experienced wasn't true, that it wasn't God, it was just emotion and whatever else. He says, I want to make it very clear to you. I know what I'm talking about. He said, I know that it was the Holy Spirit. I know that it was God. But I don't believe. Look at That's exactly what he's talking about here. There are some times where the seed falls on ground and that root begins to grow, but there is no place for it to find full root. It never finds good ground. There are people who experience and know and see the working of the Holy Spirit of God in the church. They understand it. They know it. They've experienced it. They've seen prayer. They've seen God working. They've seen revival. They've seen people that have gotten saved. They believe, but they are not born again. Let me ask you, sitting here today, do you know that you're born again? And it's, it's okay to verify that you are born again. That is not an act of lack of faith. To step back and say, do I believe because of this or do I believe because it's here? The Spirit of God abides in me and I, <laughs> it's there. It's never going to change. It can't change. Because the new man's been born. There, there's no going back. There is, there is no way, there is no undoing to it. And like we sang, trust and obey. Yeah, there are times where I may not trust and there are times where I may not obey, but guess what? God's Holy Spirit is there going. That was dumb. You better get that right. And I can't escape it, and you can't escape it, because if you're born again, God's Holy Spirit is with you everywhere, every minute of every day. So let me ask you this. 
Are you truly born again? Not just have you experienced some religious or some spiritual uh, moment, but because you have the witness and the testimony of God's abiding Spirit in you. If you have not, before it is too late, you come to Jesus Christ today. You seek Him, and He will do that miraculous work in your life and change your heart and change who you are because you can be born again. Someone else's experience and being in the crowd and experiencing, experiencing a moment isn't good enough. May God work in our hearts that not one single person sitting in this service today will at some point in time walk away and the evidence will be that the seed was never in him. And he told his disciples and he warned them that they would not be satisfied just with people's immediate reaction, but they would really and truthfully continue to explore that question of whether people were born again or not. He gave them the theory. He gave them the doctrinal, maybe you would say, understanding so that they know what to expect. But he also gave them practical experience in a couple situations that, I mean, well, in multitudes of situations. But he gave them an experience for some of them in chapter 10 of the Gospel of Matthew. And he said to the twelve as he sent them forth and he commanded them saying in Matthew chapter 10 starting in verse 5. Go not into the way of the Gentiles, into any of the city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But go rather to the host, to the lost uh, sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely have you received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor brass, in your purses, nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor sta- yet uh, staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town you enter, inquire who is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace be returned to you. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or the city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than of that city. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. 
but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in, your, in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought for, before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given to you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And it goes on and says, Brother will deliver brother, children against parents, and you shall be hated of men for my name's sake. So he gives them practical experience here. We could look in the Gospel of John. We see the woman at the well. As he goes into someone of a different nationality, someone who was hated by racially segregated culture. And so over and over again, the Lord takes the disciples and he puts them in multiple situations where they see practically what the ministry is like. You know, I think when you see the uh, instructions as to who uh, goes into the ministry, one of the qualifications is not a novice. You know, I believe, okay, I just said that, so you can put the quotations that this is me. I believe that that is not just referring to the fact that someone is a new Christian. I believe that it means that there needs to be a time of mentorship of young men going into the ministry, that some guy doesn't just finish Bible college, and so he's got it all here, but he's got no practical experience leading, not being a member of a church, but leading. That not a novice means that there should be a time of training where they learn to be in a ministry, they learn to serve in a ministry, they learn what it means to lead not by being a dictator and by command, but lead by being a servant. That is what a novice, to me, again, I just repeated, to me, that's what not a novice means. You're not casting a guy, someone into, into a, a position of responsibility that they have no practical training that allows them to be successful and to avoid the snares and the traps that come along because the ministry has a whole lot of those. It will chew you up. And God gave this wonderful practical application. These disciples could not say, we had no idea what this was. Yeah, they, that's true. They didn't. They could say that. But as they look back, they can see, he sent us out with nothing. I mean, look, he says, don't, don't carry your suitcase full of change of clothes and all, you know, and your credit card, you know, that's got a real high, you know, limit on it. You're, you know, you're going out by faith and you're going to go to these homes and, you know, they're going to take you in. And by the way, he tells them not to bounce from house to house. You know, I didn't like, you know, 
I didn't like the fact that they served me meatloaf, so I'm going to go over to that house. That's a family joke. You know, he tells them that they are to be satisfied. He teaches them a sense of satisfaction. Sometimes English words kind of don't come out exactly right. The Russian word wants to come out and said. But he gives them a very practical experience in that he wants them to have a base that they can draw from, even though even though there is the unexpected coming ahead of them, but they have a base of experience that they can draw from so that they can be successful. So he's provided for them the theoretical and he's provided for them an opportunity to see the practical and in, in themselves going out and then being with him as he ministered. So the dual-sided application of the practical preparation that Jesus gave to his disciples. And because of that, when he sent forth these disciples into this world, as he, as he says to them, you know, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them and teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. Well, yes, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, he is there, but also his instruction is with them always. And I know that it means far more than that, but I think we forget that component that's with them always is everything that he had had put into them and preparing them for that. Now that's well and good for those disciples, I guess. You know, we look at it and say, well, yeah. But what does that mean? How does that practically apply to us? Well, first of all, the same indwelling Holy Spirit that they had is the same indwelling Holy Spirit that we have. Secondly, they did not have what we have. We've got a whole lot more here than they had available to them. We've got the completed Word of God that has the end of the story. Now, he told them the wheat and the tares to prepare them for that. But the rest of the story hadn't really been finished and truth be told only one of the disciples basically got to see the end of the story because by the time John is writing Revelation the rest of them are gone but we get it we get to have it we get to have centuries thirdly of the testimony and witness of the church. Now, I am not talking, and you know this, church universal, because we don't do that, okay? I'm talking about the churches, the history of the church of Jesus Christ as he who started it and faithfully planted it, and and it has continued century after century after century, and country after country after country. I used to think the passage that talked about the keys that were given to the church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. For some reason, I always felt that it was like the church was being assaulted and and that somehow its gates would withstand. But it doesn't say that. It says the gates of hell will not prevail. It means the church is the one that's on the assault. 
We're the ones that are going forth. We're the ones that are fighting. And hell's gates cannot stand against the church. And we have the testimony of believers over centuries and centuries and centuries and local churches over centuries and centuries and centuries who have stood and preached the gospel and seen God work in mighty ways. We have more theoretical and more practical than anybody in the history of the gospel. Listen. When we go out to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, there is a confidence that comes over something that is tested, tried, and true. It is proven. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be removed. God's plan for the future cannot be changed. And it doesn't matter what administration is running things. Because my God's still on the throne. And they may serve evil, but Jesus Christ will use it for His glory. We shouldn't get our eyes off the fact that no matter what administration comes and goes, because those disciples lived in an era that was a whole lot more hostile than this than we currently have here. We can get off on these red herring trails when what Jesus Christ has set forth for us to do is to take advantage of the times that are not so good to point people to Jesus Christ who is the only one who is good, who is the only one who is dependable, who is the only one who is eternal, who is the who is the one who will bring all things about that he has prescribed. We live in the era of victory. The church era is the era of victory. And so we need to live victoriously. One One of the things that is coming into Russia now is materialism. The late 90s, people were concerned about spiritual things. And then they started, then capitalism came in and took root. And now they keep thinking about, well, I need to get this, and I need to get this, and I want to get this, and I want this for my kids, and I want to get this, and I want to get this, and I want what. And yeah, well, I'm going to get around to that. That, you know, the Jesus thing and all that. I'm going to get around to that, but right now I got to get this. Well, good. Tank the economy. Sorry, but, you know, just let it go to pot. Good. Because then people will start thinking about something beyond. And and here's a great thing for America, too. Americans, bless your hearts. (laughs) You guys just like this schedule thing to death. I mean, it's like, 
I remember one time I came to one time when I came to America, I called a friend and I said, hey, let's go for coffee. And he goes, yeah, hang on. He goes, you know, next Thursday, I, I, I've got about an hour. We could we could get together. And I'm sitting there going next Thursday. You know, in Russia, I call somebody, hey, let's go get coffee. And it's like, hey, yeah, well, I'm at work now. But, you know, I'll, I'll tell my boss I'll be back in about an hour or so. You know, and they just they work it out, you know, or whatever. I mean, sometimes that's not every time, but I mean, it, it, I can remember 10 o'clock at night, you know. Hey, how about some coffee? Yeah, come on in. You know, I, I, America has to have this thing where I can schedule everything and not just today and tomorrow and next week, but everything's got to be, you know, at least at least America's developed to the point that you have the calendars that you can do the dry erase marker and change things. It used to be permanent marker, and once it was on the calendar, that was it. Couldn't even use whiteout to get that rid of that. You know, and it's a good thing, it's a good thing that America's shaking up, that, is, that God is shaking up America's stability. The rut. So that so that we can step back from all of that and say, you know, what's really important? You know, what what do I really need to be? I've, I've had everything so perfectly scheduled for so long that there's no room for God to spontaneously say, I want you to do this. You know, Jesus sent his disciples into the unknown in a way, but he knew that it wasn't as unknown as they thought it was. And where we are right now, in the midst of a so-named pandemic, and an economic time in America where it's, who knows, international travel. Well, maybe there'll be tickets, maybe there won't, I don't know. Our schedules are changed. All of America knows what it's like to homeschool now. <laughs> you thought it was easy. Yeah. Welcome to our world. Uh, everything's just complete, you know, a generation is losing a year of their lives. Well, then make it purposeful. Then, then use it for something practical. Be adaptable. Change. Allow God to then say, you know what? Now's the time when you can minister in ways that you couldn't have ministered before. Your kids were always in school. You always had to drive them to school and pick them up from school. And they always had sports and everything after school and, and this and that and whatever and else. And all of that isn't happening now. So good! Well, praise the Lord. Let's use it for something worthwhile. Something eternal. When Jesus gave this commission to the disciples, he's, he also knew that our generation would read these exact words. And it's the commission that he sets forth for us. Are you willing and are you flexible? So that God can use you in the way he wants to use you in this time, in this country, in this place, in this generation, and in this set of parameters. Jesus will be glorified 
if we will let him use us. So there are two things. First of all, are you saved? Are you genuinely born again? And secondly, are you moldable and usable when Jesus says, go and teach and be what I want you to be so that you will be used of Jesus Christ for this generation in this day and time that he has given to us where the gates of hell will not prevail and all the more the church has the ability to glorify Jesus Christ and to reach the lost. May God use us for his glory.